Welcome everyone to the all pilot call with your MEC. Looks like uh, everyone who wanted to get in the door has gotten a chance. Got a good group. I just want to let everyone know on the call today, this will be recorded. We are recording this presentation and we'll be making that available to the pilot group soon as possible. The material covered today. We've got a number of outlets for the MEC for communications. Uh, we have our YouTube channel and you can find us at SCA MEC on YouTube. Just use the handle at SCA MEC and you can sub subscribe to our YouTube channel there. We also have our podcast outlet, which we rip the audio from the presentations and just place the audio up on the podcast. Uh, it, if you can't get into these meetings or if you can't watch on YouTube, you can always listen to the audio on our podcast channel, which is available on uh, whatever podcast service you use. You know, that Amazon, um, Spotify, Apple Music, any of those things. If you search for the Sun Country Airlines pilots, or I'm sorry, I screwed up every time. <laughs> Sun Country Airlines MEC podcast. That's the Sun Country Airlines MEC podcast. You search for that. You'll find us on any of your podcast outlets. And you can subscribe there as well. There's a number of great uh, uh, information, training, education podcasts regarding the uh, the contract. We keep calling it the new contract. It's the latest one now. We've been living under it for a while. At any rate, you can find a lot of information there as well. With that being said, I do want to highlight that this is being recorded and we would really appreciate if you, you know, not summarize, not try to uh, make bullet point lists and, and post those things on Facebook. That's just, it's not a great outlet. Sometimes things get taken out of context and we, uh, we just want to make sure that everyone gets the information from the source, which is here are MEC, the, the MEC members and the presentations that we give. We're trying to make it as easy as possible for everyone to join and for everyone to get the information. So I, I as much as you're trying to help out your fellow pilots, we do appreciate if you would help them out by sending them either to the YouTube channel, the podcast, or directly to us. Our phone numbers always work. You can always uh, call us and get the information straight from us. And we'll give you that the best we can, the information as accurate as possible that we have at that time. At any rate, uh, with that being said, like I said, Eric and Will are both here. Will's got a great presentation he's going to give you guys and uh, gals. But before that happens, I know Eric has some wonderful news he wants to share. I don't know if it's wonderful, but he's got a news uh, he'd like to share with everyone. With that, I'm going to toss it over to Eric. See, he's there. Eric, you're still muted. And there he is. Eric, how you doing on this wonderful hot afternoon, or morning it is still? <laughs> yeah, just uh, hanging in the air conditioning, right? Right. Um, all right. Hey, before we uh, get into um, Will's uh, PowerPoint on this, I just want to uh, run through a little bit of the news, right? Um, uh, take a minute to congratulate all of our frontline employees, right, whose uh, efforts were recognized by our customers who named Sun Country the best U.S. low-cost carrier. Um, as a, you know, customer satisfaction survey, right, that's uh, a great reflection of the job that our crews do 
uh, and especially our flight attendants, who we all know to be exceptional, right? Um, it also recognizes our pilots and gate agents and ramp workers and uh, all of us who are the, the human touch point between Sun Country and the customer, right? Uh, wonderful to get that type of recognition because it's special and it shows how much we care about our customers. Uh, great to see that our flight attendants uh, and other frontline employee groups are being recognized for what we see and know, uh, which is that they do a great job, right? And uh, our hope is that these work groups will get a contract soon that properly recognizes their efforts uh, in the way that uh, customer satisfaction has, right? Uh, and a contract that provides the schedule flexibility they are seeking and properly compensates them for the care that they show our customers, right? We're uh, really, really proud of the work that uh, uh, has been done to uh, be recognized in that way, right? Uh, so this week, uh, the MEC completed a vacation allocation LOA uh, for 2024 vacation. Uh, it, it's very unlikely that we're going to realize an implemented PBS in 2024. Uh, so we're in need of an agreement as to how to distribute vacation, uh, just like we were in 2023. Uh, and we'll be following a similar uh, similar distribution methodology to what we did in 2023, basically just re-ups the same stuff, right? Um we also finished, very importantly, uh, final contract language for our 2021 agreement, some now 18 months later, uh, because with the uh, completion of Section 18, uh, it's now ready to print. And uh, final details regarding printing are being finalized, but we should have a paper contract uh, printed and out soon and a fully integrated digital contract available in Comply uh, 365 very, very soon. So um, great progress on those fronts. Um, we have a first out, last out um, settlement discussion coming up with the company. Uh, we were to do arbitration the 20, I believe the 28th, 29th of June. Uh, that has been delayed till September, and that uh, does give the parties uh, some time to discuss a possible settlement that would include uh, the trips assigned, which is required uh, by the 2021 agreement, and uh, would accurately show the status of all reserve line holders and the trips that have been assigned. Uh, this was you know, negotiated with the 2021 contract and has yet to be properly um, actioned so that it is uh, available for all crews to see. Uh, and truly, this is um, key to the real-time open time system and the um, transparency that's required to ensure the credibility of the reassignment rules, right? Um, without this very important piece of the first out, last out uh, system, there's no way to assure that the work assignments and work opportunities were uh, properly assigned, right? Uh, so it is pretty central to everything that was done in the 2021 contract and needs to be completed. Um, hopefully we're gonna see some action on that uh, before September. Uh, if not, uh, we will follow up with uh, arbitrator Horowitz in September. Uh, the MEC has been working on starting a CATS working group. And if you're not tracking on what CATS is, it's commuter accessible trips, right? Uh, so we're going to start some listening sessions in July, uh, both in person and via Teams. Look for a comm soon with details as to how to participate. 
uh, if you are commuting to Sun Country, we want to hear from you, right? Sun Country presents uh, some unique complications in terms of commuting, and we have some unique solutions in the way of deadhead deviation, and um, we need to uh, kind of revisit that stuff as we move into um, planning for uh, midterm bargaining in November. So we want to get a listening group together and with that, uh, get some subject matter experts up to speed on CATS and what CATS is. And um, some of the conversations for this go way, way back five years or more ago uh, with the Portland arbitration where we're trying to look for innovative solutions to uh, to Basie, right? Um, we uh, believe that the right commuting solution is key to the growth and the future of Sun Country. And um, getting together with everyone is going to help us uh, find out what the needs of this pilot group are, right, along with trying to find some uh, innovative solutions that provide something the traditional basing system can't and will hopefully give Sun Country a competitive hiring advantage in the industry, right? So um, with that, look for a comm. And then uh, also want to make mention of next week's Tuesdays at 2. Uh, tune back in uh, to Tuesdays at 2 this week. Uh, coming up next Tuesday, we'll be with Katie and Tim. They're going to talk about average line value in PBS and why uh, why it's important and what it does and kind of do a, a deeper dive into how it affects our schedules and the credit that um, can go on to a line, okay? Uh, very, very important and really important that this pilot group understands how average line value works. So um, there'll also be some important updates regarding PBS. Uh, I think there's some significant changes underway. Um, and the two parties are also looking to meet uh, in mid-July to uh, do a two-day working session to accelerate a PBS solution. Uh, we're really happy to see that kind of engagement and that the company wants to uh, move the ball forward on PBS. We have been doing small group discussions for quite some time. Those were fairly productive. Um, there was a document exchanged uh, about two weeks ago uh, that um, I, I think moved backwards from those discussions. Uh, at the same time, uh, I think that getting together for two days uh, with the principal decision makers is really going to be able to move the ball forward. So um, we're happy to see that kind of engagement and the desire to meet for two days on, on PBS. Um, with that, I'm going to turn it over to Will. Uh, Will has, uh, you know, a pretty good sized slide deck here. There is a lot of information in this, um, and we're going to move fairly quickly through it to get to the Q and A. Um, this is basically a summary of changes, okay, uh, from what was agreed to in the 2021 agreement with uh, Section 18, and um, is, you know, pretty thorough in terms of walking through all of the items that have changed and there's going to be a lot of information it's going to go fairly quick so maybe take some notes as we move through uh and then just um you know engage in the q a uh, so we can try to unpackage some of this stuff as as we go through there's really no other way to kind of bite this thing off um if we went through every change and tried to do kind of uh, education this would be 
six hours long. So um, with that, I'm going to turn it over to Will. Um, and uh, at the end, we'll, we'll dive into the Q&A. Yeah, hey, thanks, Eric. Yeah, hey, so I apologize in advance. Um, there are 29 slides, and um, there is just a ridiculous amount of information here. Um, so I am going to fly. Um, when we did um, a, kind of a walkthrough of this with the instructors, I think it took three or four hours. Um, I keep thinking of that great line from uh, Apocalypse Now. If the tide doesn't come in for six hours, do you want to stay here for six hours? I know I don't. So we're going to fly. Uh, I'll cover this as quickly as I can. Um, take some notes. Obviously, it will be um, uh, available uh, on YouTube, so you can go through and 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 kind of go through the slide deck at your own speed as well. Um, and then, uh, but I just want to get through it because there is a ton, and this way we can uh, get to the Q and A. So uh, it's going to be quick. I apologize for that. Uh, like Eric said, there is just no other way around it. Um, so moving on here, trying to move on here. There we go. All right, so just a quick overview uh, of the grievance settlement. Um, so it uh, resolves 15 open grievances, uh, brings in about another $1.2 million a year to the training pilots. Uh, there are some really significant contractual uh, language clarifications. Uh, really everything you're seeing here is kind of the combined work of the JWG and the grievance committee. Um, so the JWG worked for about a year on Section 18, was able to, unable to get uh, clarity there. It then moved into the grievance realm. That was about another six months. And then uh, the end result is um, a pretty good grievance settlement. Um, so there's a lot of uh, uh, some fundamental clarifications related to the shift to full-time instructors. And then uh, what you see in the grievance settlement preserves job and pay protections and earning uh, uh, opportunities for instructors. So real quick, right? So the remedies and the enforcement. So this was a grievance settlement. So there were some remedies and then there's some enforcement position uh, provisions in there as well. So any training pilot who was awarded a training line, basically if you were a SIM instructor, if you were given a SIM line uh, or an APD line uh, from October 22 or onward, it's going to receive a one-time payment of $10,000. Um, this uh, is uh, Settlement for uh, some of the five-day rolling scheduling window violations and some other violations. If you were just uh, OE, line check, fly month, basically if uh, you did anything other than, or all you did was anything other than um, sim work, right? Um, it, uh, those guys are still getting $1,000, right? Um, again, that's to compensate for some lost op earning opportunities. Uh, so it's one or the other, right? Greater of. Uh, so if you did some work, it's good at any time in there. It's going to be ten grand if all you did was uh, OE work or line check work, right? It's going to be a thousand bucks. Not going to be both. Um, there is a new override table in place uh, with permanent raises, uh, pretty significant raises, and a pretty significant um, uh, change there. Uh, the company's going to back pay overrides uh, again, part of the grievance settlement to uh, first of the year at new rates and under clarified rules. Um, and then there's uh, some, a few, there's some named training pilots, right? A lot of these were sort of MEC grievances, but there were some specific training pilots who actually filed grievances. Uh, they will uh, receive an additional $1,000. There's a cease and desist, which is actually really, really important. Eric can talk about that a little bit more in the Q&A, um, but that um, sort of sets a stake in the ground uh, for this moving forward. 
the page should come out. Actually, should have come out yesterday. Um, I, I, to be honest with you, I have not had a chance to check uh, in depth with the trading policy to see if that happened or if it was done correctly. Um, but we'll look into that. Um, and then, um, obviously, any uh, pay for the for the for the back pay and uh, uh, for the settlements, either the ten thousand or thousand bucks. Um, Subject to withholding taxes, out the dues, retirement contributions, right? So the 14% DC should apply. Uh, and then it also establishes sort of an expedited enforcement process through the end of next year. Um, so this is kind of a single member board. Um, we can take uh, issues that arise in, out of Section 18 to kind of a streamlined um, arbitration process. Um, in addition to the regular arbitration schedule and hopefully resolve any issues quickly. So the idea here was, uh, yeah, settlement's great, but how are we going to enforce it? This is part of that important process. All right. I know I'm going fast. I apologize. Um, so I'm going to go through the language qualifications here as quickly as I can. Um, we'll just go section by section, make notes, uh, and then there'll be Q&A at the end. So 18A, use selection qualification and scope. Just some clarifications here on specialized ground instruction. This is things like captain leadership, pays 5.3 hours, and there's $25 override, uh, doesn't occur in a day off, um, some other issues there. Uh, we did some changes to this notion of line validation pilots, right? So essentially the, the language was going towards a slightly more open uh, or well, anyway, we restricted, we restricted what that work is um, and anything beyond theater qual or special air, uh, airport qualifications requires the company and output to meet and agree. Just a note, this program has not gained uh, FAA approval. We don't know if there's any immediate plans to actually implement this program, but the language is there if they do. This is something that they have at Delta. Essentially, it's FOs uh, doing some, some non-training pilot work from the right seat, um, but there are some changes there. Um, and then some uh, clarifications on uh, uh, training sim, sim evaluation and validation mo modules only done by training pilots and the ability for trainees to request a training pilot to conduct a lesson prior to an evaluation. So with non senior instructors, the first time you actually see a senior instructor could be an evaluate could be at, at a eval or a val. Uh, we want to give uh, trainees the ability uh, to actually see a senior instructor before that. Going on, um, original schedule. So this uh, just got added. Essentially, sets a baseline, right? So you need to know uh, what your baseline schedule is, uh, so you know what changed. Uh, so we have a definition in there. We added a definition for standards evaluator, which is a new thing that nobody really knew about when this was written um, years ago. Now, um, and then uh, in yellow here, this is actually pretty key. Uh, we modified the definition of training event um, and clarified the individual what an individual instructor checking activity is. And this is part of the settlement for the five-day rolling window. Effectively, it reinforces the inability of the company to do blank days, uh, reserve, or anything like that, uh, and uh, protect instructor earnings and schedule opportunities, or schedule integrity, excuse me. Um, sorry, wrong way. And a couple more definitions here. We added this notion of a training schedule modification. This just supports some language elsewhere. And then we added the notion of a training trip. It's a new definition, and it's actually really important. Um, there's some language 
further down in the section um, that deals with trips, right? Uh, regular pilot trips and then training trips, which are trips that are owned by the training department. And what the creation's definition does along with the language elsewhere is really enforce the notion that there's two pools of flying. Uh, there's a pool that's owned by the train department and then there's everything else, which is owned by the regular pilots. And then there's some language that specifies how that fly moves back and forth. Um, this definition and the underlying language, it's a lot of work and it's a big deal. Um, all right, hours of service. Uh, a couple changes here. So we move seat fills and deadhead from the definition of doubles. So the two doubles in seven days limit still applies. However, seat fills and deadheads do not count, right? So you can do training event, uh, seat fill, training event, seat fill, training event, training event, training event, training event, training event, seat fill, training event, seat fill, right? And that still is uh, fine. doesn't count towards the, uh, you'll still be within the two doubles within seven limitation. Um, so this adds for significant earnings opportunities for instructors. There is some clarification that triples are not allowed. I don't think there's any way to really do them inside of the hours of service limitations anyway. Uh, compensation quite a bit here. Um, and I know, I'm, I know I'm going fast. Just hang with me. Uh, so there's some language that clarifies uh, that the override is paid on all credit um, with a few limited exceptions uh, listed. Uh, so the there had been some um, difficulty in the interpretation, I guess, on what uh, what work should uh, receive an override and what work should not. Um, this is now clarified significantly in the new language. Uh, there's new uh, override rate table with new rates. It also adds the standards evaluator. Uh, and then there is uh, language that clarifies training pilots. Uh, they earn the override rate commensurate with their highest held credentials. So if you're an APD, everything that you do in the training department, uh, from sleeping the floors to just doing regular sim instruction to actually doing APD work is all going to pay um, at that APD rate. So the, the, the override rate is tied to your credentials. It's not tied to uh, what actually underlying work you're actually doing. Um, and then there's just some clarification on uh, when you start earning that rate, along with uh, technical clarifications on the notion of best held category. This is the new um, hourly override table, and I'll slow down here. So um, this is probably what everybody cares about. Um, so you can kind of see what changed here. Um, so we had some grievances related to um, uh, the override and what work the override was paid on, what it had not been paid on. Um, as part of the settlement, um, as you can see, um, so a, the APD rate increased by 20 bucks. The standards evaluator rate is new at 50. Sim check airmen went up by 20. Line check airmen OE, they went up by 30. And then sim instructors and ground went up by 15. Um, so moving forward as a, as a Compensation essentially for um, uh, settlement for some of the grievances that were resolved in this settlement. Um, there are significant raises um, that are permanent. Um, when there's money on the table, my instinct is that you take it. So that's what we did. Um, so that's the new rate table. Moving on in compensation. Um, so a significant amount of language here that details uh, the kind of the minimum paying credit. Uh, the Fundamental to 
really everything in 18 and how it was structured was this notion that the minimum paying credit for anything a training pilot did is 5.3 hours. Um, they were, at least early on, um, there are a lot of different things that were paid differently than that. Um, they're now pretty exhaustive language that really nails that down. Um, we added some language that establishes a min-day uh, paying credit, 5.3 for line checks, ETOPS, or other non-OE training trips. So you go out to, say, do a ETOPS uh, you know, validation out to Conan back. You go out the first day, that's 5.3. You get your, e your ETOPS, even if you just deadhead out, right? Um, you do your ETOPS thing, that is what it is, and then you just deadhead home. Well, that day is 5.3 as well, so significant clarifications there. Um, there is a note here, uh, the, the 5.3 may or may not display properly in eCrew um, due to some limitations to that based on um, uh, yeah, so anyway, the min paying credit for, let me just put it away, the min paying credit for a trip may or may not display correctly. However, the company is responsible for ensuring that it is properly calculated and paid and it should go correctly at the uh, sort of final um, uh, crew allowance report. Uh, the company's solution to this uh, technical issue was just to not uh, pay the 5.3. Our solution was, no, you pay the 5.3 even if it doesn't show correctly um, and uh, you're just responsible for making sure that you pay it right. I like our solution better. Uh, there's some uh, clarifications for APDs, uh, doing certificate events, and uh, their pay there, their pay protection, and then, uh, again, some clarification of min pay and credit for training trips. Um, same thing for training, uh, for training pilots who maintain their credentials. Um, so, for example, if you do a, you know, you require SIM for right seat currency, that SIM pays 5.3 hours. Um, in the past, and paid, frankly, whatever the training scheduler felt like paying. Um, so, um, same thing for deadhead. Um, if you're just deadheading out to uh, to added on south in trading, that's 5.3. And again, a midday of 5.3 uh, plus override for days that are deadhead only. Um, and then this last point probably should be in yellow. It's actually pretty fundamental to the five-day rolling scheduling window. Um, but it just clarifies that uh, training of pilots who award a fewer than 17 events receive the min monthly guarantee and any events added uh, above those are at premium. So you, it's completely logical that you, uh, when you're doing the schedules, they might not divide evenly by 17 events. Somebody might all wind up with a few, with fewer, an example. In this example, perhaps 14, while the 15th and on would, uh, if they added them, would they receive premium pay for that. You don't need to get up to 17 to get the premium. Uh, all right, uh, moving on to expenses, just some per diem start stop language in there. Nobody cares about vacation. There's just a reference change there. Going into scheduling, there's a lot of changes in here. Um, again, I'm going quick, I know. Uh, but we added some language that clarifies the source of pools for OE trips. Uh, right now, it's uh, still the same way we get them through section uh, 25. And then in PBS, there's a maximum holding of 8% trips. Um, then we sort of copied some Section 25 language into 18 uh, just to make sure that it was actually seen by the training department as well. Uh, but the company really can only create the OE lines that they actually need to do for OE. Uh, so there had been this notion that maybe that we'd create a whole bunch of OE lines and lock and structure schedules down. 
know, but maybe not do OE and all that work. Um, this is kind of a quality of life issue. Um, so this clarifies that they can't do that. Um, same thing for the uh, language uh, that already exists in Section 25. Basically, if uh, you are on an OE line, 75% of the credit on that OE line needs to be used for OE. Um, Chris, Red's creating a huge pool of, of instructors uh, with locked schedules and no OE, no OE work. There's some language comportment with the notion of creating trips. Um, and then we added some additional preferencing so instructors can say, yeah, I want to work the first half of the month or the last half of the month if possible. Um, preferencing for out of domicile training and some doubles preferencing in there. Uh, in yellow here, this is new. Um, so it adds the option for training pilots awarded SIM schedules to request final schedules of more than 17 events with those events paid at premium. Essentially what this does is uh, allows instructors to uh, load up their schedules at the final um, if that's what they wish to do, basically placing them in in line ahead of the non-seniority list instructors. So it advantages the instructors uh, over the non-seniority list instructors. And they also are still going to receive premium pay for any events that are above the 17, um, as long as and they just they can load up, load up how you want to load up as long as you get to mid-days off. Or uh, don't go below mid-days off, excuse me. Um, so, uh, and then, you know, if you want, you know, four events, they can give you four, but they can't give you five, but they might give you three, right? So they're not going to give you more events that are uh, requested, uh, but you may be awarded fewer. Um, this sort of ends, allows instructors to really load up their schedules and the company to uh, see that productivity without, and know that everything is covered. Uh, without having to uh, sort of have stuff sitting there and uncover training events uh, and hope that somebody picks it up. Um, so establish, this is the, uh, I don't know if Al's on the call, this is the Al McHale sentence, uh, but establishes a 5.3 min day for out of domicile training assignments, which prevents checkerboarding of schedules. So when you go down to Miami for 17 days, they try and schedule you for one day on, one day off, one day on, one day off. Um, that day off uh, at a domicile is still going to pay credit 5.3 hours. Um, so it, I don't know why anybody would have scheduled it that way in the past, but they did this now. Um, if they're going to do it that way, it makes it really, really expensive. And it adds the credit, which prevents it from really ruining somebody's month. Um, and then there's significant language in here. Um, uh, about including specific lesson checking crew uh, and clarifying that there's no blank days or the form of blank work shells or serve. Again, uh, part of the five-day rolling scheduling window settlement for instructors, uh, and that preserves training pilot work opportunities. Uh, moving on, there's just a standard preparation table and then uh, some uh, clarification to preferencing if you want to get fewer than two days off. Um, significant clarification on, um, on things like standard meetings and flight flights uh flight standards boards um they just go on your final schedules they get paid credit at 5.3 so if you do standards meeting and you do a flight standards board both of those uh in the same day both of those meetings are going to pay at 5.3 each um which is the way it should be uh establishes a bid for some training opportunities during a month um and then uh, some clarification for uh, OE and fly month pilots and other pilots who uh, attend meetings on the day off. And then 
some establishment of Minday uh, A for training to maintain your quals. Um, is 5.3 or the uh, trip reserve day training event that's remote. And uh, let's see, continuing on at scheduling. Um, uh, clarifies recurrent training is scheduled same as regular pilots until PBS. Um, so no real change there. Um, not known training. So um, uh, there may be situations where training that isn't known needs to get placed on inspector schedules. Um, this gives the company the ability to do that. It is also incredibly onerous and expensive um, because, frankly, it, well, it's 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 essentially a forced worker assignment. Um, so, uh, unknown training that couldn't be scheduled prior to the final, right? You need a five day minimum of five days of notice. It pays a five point three at two hundred percent. Again, it's a forced work assignment. Can't conflict with vacation or inviolate days. Can't bring training pilots below mid days off. And the pilot is going to receive a compensatory day off in the same month or the next subsequent month and is pay protected if that day is in conflict with a trip, grand trip or training event. And then there's a note here, um, we forgot to schedule you um, is not considered unknown training. The schedule. Uh, this is, you know, the FAA comes in and says your training pilots need to learn how to fly the airplane upside down in the next 20 days, right? Something like that. Um, and then there's some language here that adds a just a re return to work process. It's just been missing from uh, 2109. Um, and then um, some pretty good clarification here on the removal recovery language and pay protection language, right? So for SIM events, uh, basically stays the same uh, within six hours, outside six hours, it stays the same. And then we added uh, some language that allows kind of the modification of SIM events as to stay within the same footprint. Um, so this sort of allows this notion of, you know, I'm doing, I'm supposed to do maneuvers, you know, MT2 with crew A, um, they have to redo MT1. So we can go ahead and, um, make that change, do that same, or do that lesson, um, within the same SIM slot. And then kind of the resulting lessons downstream, uh, wind up in uncovered training events. Um, and then uh, there really wasn't good removal and recovery language um, for things like line checks or e line checks, retops, uh, or something else, another sort of training trip for the jump seat. Um, so we added that. Um, I think everybody knew what the intention was. We just need to get the words right. But uh, same deal. Within six hours, you just go home. Uh, outside of six hours, you have the opportunity to uh, pick a single training trip or uncovered training event. Uh, from uncovered training events that fits within the original footprint, and then you pay protected for the greater off. Um, so uh, there's some recovery there, and also clarifies the pay protection. Um, this is in yellow, so it adds significant clarification for the rescheduling or reassignment of OE. Um, so uh, there really wasn't in 2109 a way to do really either a reschedule or reassignment of uh, a training pilot conducting OE. Um, this allows for um, both rescheduling and reassignment, but critically in reassignment, right? Remember, reassignment essentially involves open time. Um, and uh, the issue is, is if you reassign um, into uh, an OE pilot, you're now essentially taking work that is owned by the regular pilots and moving that into the training department. Um, the solution that we came up with is, yeah, if you take that credit, that's okay. Um, but 
then at some point that's a similar or the same amount of credit, essentially the same amount of credit needs to go back into the regular pilot work pool. Um, pretty uh, elegant solution, um, allows the company uh, to keep the operation going and it protects uh, the regular line pilot work opportunities. So basically it keeps uh, them from rating um, open time um, through reassignment. Um, and it also reinforces that regular pilot work and train department work are two different pools. Um, this is a big deal, and um, I, I think it's actually a pretty clever solution. Um, and then there's some clarification for uh, fly, uh, I'm sorry, train pilots who haven't met the uh, annual fly month requirements. Uh, they just, by default, go into a fly month unless something else is agreed upon. All right, uncovered training events. There actually were a lot of changes to uncovered training events, um, mostly clarifications and procedural training uh, uh, changes. Um, I think in the 2109 LOA, this was about four paragraphs, and it's probably about 20 now. Um, but it, uh, so I'll just kind of hit some of the highlights here, but, you know, it allows for now uh, until uh, they have a better uh, notification system in place that can continue to send general emails out to the training department. Uh, training pilots about um, uncovered training events. Uh, and then sort of clarifies, right, training scheduling cannot assign work to training pilots after the final schedules. So maybe a slight oversimplification, but the only way that training pilots receive additional training pilot work is by adding uh, it through uncovered training events. So um, this, again, is part of the five-year role. So, uh, scheduling window settlement and a couple of other things, but there is no way uh, after the final schedules for the training pilot, uh, the training department to just assign you work. You have to pick it up through uncovered training. Um, added some language. This had been a contractual dead hole, uh, dead end, uh, but uh, OE training pilots are awarded a reserve line are essentially considered to be in a fly month. It just wasn't, there just isn't a way to get um, training pilot work on somebody uh, who was on reserve. Um, add some clarification to the soak time for training events that are listed in uncovered training events. So that um, there's now essentially a uh, training event that's added in uncovered training events it needs to sit there for 12 hours. And then after that, OE or flyman training pilots can add it as well. Uh, there had been a requirement in the contract in 2009 that. Uh, uh, That there was that essentially the brain that sim instructors um, uh, would have first crack at uncovered training events, um, and then uh, but there was no time, so we just negotiated the time. So that's the only change there. Um, and then let's see. Uh, oh, this is again. There's just a contractual hole here. Um, training pilots do have the ability to be included in the order of assignment after management pilots and. Prior to JA, uh, there just wasn't any contractual mechanism to do that. So we've added that. Um, and then uh, the next two um, are um, technical in a way, right? But it it, it adds um, the process or specifies the process essentially by which trips um, move back and forth between the training department um, and uh, regular pilot open time. Um, so you can read it and a lot of technical stuff in there, um, but um, that's in a nutshell what it does. 
Um, and then it just adds a requirement for actual details in the trading events uh, that are listed in uncovered trading events. Uh, so people actually know what they're picking up. Um, return the lines flying, no changes here that are significant. Same thing uh, for, uh, so this is reduction, uh, reduction of training requirements. And then this is some other um, notice, uh, return to line flying other, there's no real training changes there. K, uh, so there are some changes here in K uh, that are probably worth talking about. Um, so there is the addition of a six month initial period for new trading pilots, after which they're either returned to line flying or uh, considered to be in the training department for five years, after which there's a job review opportunity, uh, and then they uh, either continue on in the training department for another five years, um, or they're gonna go back to the line. This only applies to um, anybody who's hired after July uh, first, I think, or maybe August first. Um, so the current crop of uh, instructors of the training department um, uh, aren't subject to this, um, but for new instructors moving forward, uh, there's sort of a six-month period, and then um, you know if things are going great. Boom, you're good for five years, and then sort of a five-year rolling renewal um, the company just wanted the ability uh, to make uh, require you to be a full-time training pilot and then the ability to return you to the line anytime they wanted for any reason um, that wasn't what was negotiated um, so. um, and then uh, if you do get returned to the line involuntarily they actually need to give you a detailed written explanation there's some anti-discrimination language in there as well so they can't return you to line because they don't like your politics um or the way you dress yeah they gotta if they're gonna return you to line involuntarily they gotta do it for a legitimate reason um and then uh, this is a nice gain um so uh, we add online positive space travel um uh, and uh hotels for commuter training pilots um so um you know we have a lot of you know pilots who would make excellent instructors um, uh, who maybe don't live in Minneapolis. Uh, and this uh, allows them to get to work um, and have a hotel when they get here rather than having to pay for a crash pad to go um, train in the sim for a week. Um, totally normal thing everywhere else in the in industry. Um, so we have it here now. Um, and then add some language uh, regarding notification, also requirements for contact via recorded lines. So no more texts or getting calls from a training scheduler uh, on their cell phone. Everything's recorded. Uh, this protects uh, the training pilots, protects the uh, company. Um, everybody knows what's going on. It's on a recorded line. Uh, it's just a good thing. Uh, international training, no real changes here. Uh, seat fill. So this is new. Um, this is a new section, um, and it's an important one. Um, so uh, 18M now essentially makes seat fills initially available to the training department with the ability to move them into open time as needed. Um, the way that uh, seat fills had worked in the past is that they were, um, well, frankly, they were in the domain of um, regular pilots. Um, and they had to go into open time. And there really wasn't any way for a training pilot to add um, this training pilot uh, who was assigned a SIM schedule for a month uh, to add a seat fill. Um, this now essentially puts the seat fills uh, into the training department by default, and then they can move them into open time as needed. 
And then it also clarifies the min pay and credit for training pilots. Uh, you do a seat fill, it's 5.3 hours. You still get your override. Um, and then there's some clarification here that if you're doing a seat fill, uh, you're actually not going to serve as an instructor as well. It's there. And then uh, 18N, uh, this is actually the second to last slide. Um, so it just establishes uh, sort of a basic scheduling process for training pilots. So the details are in the uh, in the new language. Uh, there just had there just wasn't a scheduling process uh, for for new uh, training pilots. Uh, there is now. So that's it. I know that was really really fast. I apologize, but I didn't want to take three hours to do it. Uh, so I think we're kind of in the Q and A. Um, Eric, I don't know if you have anything you want to add before we get into Q and A, but I, no, not particularly. Um, I, I think you summed it up pretty well, right? Uh, if I had to kind of key in on a couple things here, right? Um, it's this uh, establishment of 8%, right? This, uh, this holdback for OE training, right? And what that is and what that does, right? Because that's the work that is withheld from FO bidding for OE, okay? And uh, the way that that's created is by the OE instructors exercising their seniority to bid on lines, presumably in PBS eventually, and 8% of those trips um, will be held back from FO bidding for OE, okay? And that's essentially what the training department owns and a lot of what Will summarized here has to do with how um, how more work is bought by the training department and how when uh, a pilot who is on OE or teaching OE, right, training pilot is uh, teaching OE, how they are rescheduled, all right, and how that uh, that time, which is now coming out of regular pilot work opportunities and navigating uh, across the line into the training department work, is then compensated in the future, right? Um, so that 8%, uh, when there's a lot of reassignment work, might be, um, say, 6.5% the next month, right? If trips and flying and block uh end up moving across that line without um having started out there at the final line award right and all that is uh designed to keep the work opportunities for the regular pilot um and assure uh work opportunities for the training pilot okay and uh, you'll notice that a lot of the other rules here, which have to do with notification, posting of uncovered training events, uh, right? Not not getting texts and solicitations. All of this has to do with transparency for uncovered training events for the training pilots, right? Um, it's to allow everyone uh, an equal opportunity to those uh, training events and to make sure that uh, they're uh, distributed properly, right? Um, so uh, it's a big change from the way the training department has worked. Uh, they're going to have to be more transparent. They're going to have to plan ahead a little bit more. Um, and I think that's going to ultimately help 
them uh, with things like standardization meetings and becoming just a, a more organized department. So uh, ultimately, it should lead to uh, better student outcomes and uh, better work opportunities for our training pilots. I'm really happy that uh, we were able to close this up and um, provide a, a good grievance settlement for, you know, uh, 12 fairly significant um, uh, group grievances that had emerged uh, since uh, December of 21, all related to um, Section 18. So uh, pretty big lift. And as you can see, there were a lot of changes. And uh, I think uh, it's in a pretty good spot. With that, we also hear the training pilots concern regarding their locked schedules, right? Um, note that in the nature of a, a grievance settlement, right, what we're doing is working through how to make uh, the training pilots whole for the, uh, and that is to say, put them back where they would have been had the harm not occurred, right? Uh, so it isn't an exchange of value based on negotiating, but uh, an exchange based on trying to make pilots whole. So you don't see a fix for um, schedule flexibility, right, drops and swaps. And we hear the training uh, department and uh, everyone from the sim instructors to the OE instructors, line check pilots, um, there is not schedule flexibility in the training department. Um, this is a, you know, a conscious choice by management to lock schedules and is uh, a detriment to our training pilots uh, quality of life and uh, ability to you know make their kids birthday parties and baseball games nobody is trying to skirt work or not do work uh, and we think that the locking of uh, the pilots uh, training pilot schedules is unnecessary and the training department owns the ability to allow uh, for these drops with the discretion of the director of training uh, so all it takes is the um, agreement from the director of training to allow swaps and drops to happen. And uh, that is a normal function in training departments um, to assure that the productivity, which they've bought off, right, that 8%, um, gets used in his productive training time. Uh, and certainly it's it's very hard in an airline system to line up all of the resources that are necessary to teach sims and to teach OE. Um, but uh, the reality is um, you need to provide some sort of schedule flexibility for swaps and drops. Uh, we did a lot of work on the ads here, but it is the swaps and drops that are uh, creating the angst. That is what we hear from the training uh, department and uh, the training pilots. And um, with that, right, we we were able to secure uh, pretty hefty increases to the override. Uh, the company believes that that's where the angst is in the training department. If, uh, if they pay more, uh, the lock schedules will uh, not uh, be a, a point of contention. Um, I think it's wise on our part to have locked in the money, knowing that that doesn't fix the problem and that the problem remains and still needs to be addressed, right? Uh, so with that, uh, I'm going to open it up to Q&A and uh, let Kevin um, uh, moderate the, the Q&A portion of the call.
anyone wants to, to ask some questions and get some clarification, uh, please use the raise hand function, or I think uh, star six uh, will unmute. Is that right? Yep. Anybody wants to, uh, got a question, please raise your hand. Uh, on the phone, for those of you on the phone, star five will raise your hand and star six will unmute you. If you want to raise your hand, I see we've got Greg. You've got your hand up. If you want to unmute yourself, you have the floor, sir. Yeah, hey, I just had a question, and I kind of asked this in the first read-through, but I just wanted to get some clarification. I know there's this little section about when we're not paid the override, but could you go through that again? Uh, like, specifically, uh, there's, there's just so many things that keep coming up, like uh, what if we get trip protected or trip protection and that kind of thing, and it does the override pay that? And uh, it seems like I read something that even our CQ event uh, seems to be paid, but I'm not sure. So if you could uh, just run through all the uh, uh, times when we're not, and then we can assume that we get it every other time. Yeah, I think um, I don't have, you know, honestly, I don't have the, I don't have the revised section 18 in front of me. Vacation is probably the biggest one uh, that doesn't um, it doesn't have an override. Um, and then obviously, you know, in a fly month, right? So if you're in a fly month, just doing regular flying, there's no override on that. And then I think there's there might be a couple of other minor corners there, Greg. But for the most part, everything else, if you're doing anything in relation to the training department, um, so if it's training, um, deadhead, um, going to a standards meeting, uh, teaching in the sim, teaching OE, um, anything that you're doing in the service of training department with, man, I can't think of any exceptions when you're working in the training department is going to have the override. All right. Yeah, thanks. And then uh, just uh, thanks for all the help and all the uh, work that you put into this. And uh, then one quick uh, other question. Uh, uh, why don't we get the same trip protection that line pilots get? Is that a company thing? Um, explain that a little or a little deeper. Well, this uh, <clears throat> more than six hours thing, you know, the line pilots don't really have that in their contract. Um, I think that. Yeah, it's actually very yeah, similar to the yeah. line pilot. Um, uh, I should say regular pilot uh, cancellation rules. Very, very similar. Oh, all right. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah, Zillin, go ahead. Hey, guys. I want to thank you for the work on this. I think it's uh, a lot of good stuff in here. Uh, yeah, my thank question you too. is... You got, you got a whole year of your life in this, so... Yeah. yeah. Well, it's yeah. a... Year I'll never get back, right? Um, That's right. <laughs> my question, maybe just go through uh, an explanation. One of the big things that I got a lot of questions from when we've been working on this over the last year or so is uh, OE guys in particular, when they're building the original schedule, you bid a line like everybody else, but then you have uh, instructor recurrent training, you know, either the right seat stuff that we do or uh, the standardization meetings, as they like to call them, the coffee club. Uh, how does that go on your schedule? Can it go through some of the detail? How do they get you there? Uh, part of the, or is it part of the final schedule? Kind of walk through that, if you would, a little bit. <laughs> My favorite section, 18G18 18 or something like that. I don't know. It's, we spent 
and we spent a lot of time going back and forth on that. So uh, the short answer is it all should be on your final schedules, right? So your training all should show up in your final schedules. Um, is the quickest way to put it. And then if you're on OE, fly month, um, the way that the language drives is they basically have to buy you off of the trip. Okay, yeah. Um, can they offer that to you on a day off I, uh, after the fact? I think there is, yeah, I think the language is there if you attend on a day off. Um, yeah. It's 5.3. So, and it would be obviously pay at the premium rate, right? Yeah, so. okay. Yeah, yep. that's that's kind of what I thought. I just kind of wanted to make sure I was clear on that. So, yep, because that's that's one, as you know, that a lot of people have asked a lot of questions on. Yeah, that section. Um, honestly, every time that section comes up, I try to um, not think about it because we <laughs> spent so much time going back and forth. I know, but that's where we got with it. So, thank you. Yeah, no problem. So, thanks. See, Dave's got his hand up. Dave, if you want to go ahead and unmute yourself. You have the floor, sir. Hey guys, thanks so much for all your effort with this. It's just what a, a hard, difficult, trudging task this was, so thank you. Hey, um, three things um, regarding the schedule lockdowns. Um, it seems that we have, if we're doing OE, we bid for a line, and then we have initial open time, we have the line improvement period, we have all these things that happen before the training department even gets our schedule. Is that, it wasn't clarified in the past, there was something where people would say, well, no, you got line 105, that's it. As it's printed on the paper, as the bids came out, it does not include LIP, it does not include initial open time. You guys can't do that. Is that correct, or can we sit there and manipulate our schedules all we want until the final schedules come out? Then whatever that schedule is that we created goes to the scheduling department. That's a good question, and um, I do not have the section up right now. I'm looking for it, and not quite there. Uh, Will, off the top of your head, what can you answer on that? Yeah, I was, you know, I was doing the exact same thing, which is trying to grab the language um, and see if I can find it. Um, you know, hey, Gus, this is this is Alan. Yeah, I ahead, Dylan. tell you what I know about it, unless it's significantly changed in the last uh, few weeks is you're under the OE. Uh, you can participate in uh, initial open time because it's prior to the final schedule. And where we where we get shut out is the lip, which is really painful. Um, and I agree with what Dave was saying is we, if we had the ability to participate in lip, it would help with some of the anxiety and discontent over schedule flexibility because in initial open time, there's very little to nothing. In fact, I was just looking at it this morning. But in the lip, there's a lot more opportunity to move things around so but as an OE guy as I recall unless something's major to change you participate in initial open time you get your final schedule and at that point your schedule is locked you can't trade with open time you can't do anything except technically trade with another instructor yeah, yeah that's I think, that, I think that is exactly right um I just I want to know if there's uh, you know changes that have happened along the way over the last six months but um because it shouldn't matter to the training department. 
they don't even know what they have until they have it. So it would be nice if we could go through that lip period and then send it over to training because until that gets resolved, they don't know what we're doing anyway. Yeah. Um, there are some complications there and I, I don't know that it was dealt with, um, let's say in the way that it would have been had we uh, worked through this in a normal section six process, right? Uh, the originally, right, the OE training pilot schedule was bid only and exclusively to determine which trips the training department owned and your schedule was not locked to those trips in any way okay um you were to get as an oe pilot uh, the initial negotiated construct right was that you would give your days off requests to the training department like a simulator instructor would you would bid out what you could bid out exercising your seniority which what that does right is it it withholds trips in a kind of a more natural way based on seniority rather than uh, the training department cherry picking, let's say, all the Hawaii day turns, right? Um, uh, or all the all the San Diego, uh, you know, the, the nicest, easiest kind of lunch turn you could possibly have, right? Um, and having those all disappearing from bidding, right? So it was, we were really using the training pilot seniority to designate which trips were withheld from FO bidding uh, so that it didn't become a lopsided thing. Then you were supposed to get a schedule that was built by the training department, which might've been a mixture of OE and simulator work. And uh, the language was built around that kind of notion. And then somewhere along the way, it fell off uh, kind of that idea that you were going to get this mix of work or that you weren't going to fly necessarily what your seniority exercised, right? The idea really was that would uh, create a pool of work that was thrown by the training department. They would chop that up any which way they wanted to, right? Uh, chop turns out of trips, that kind of stuff, and give specific stuff to uh, training pilots. Um, the lip was kind of moving in section 25 separate from section 18 and really was the beginning of daily open time. And uh, with PBS, which is the other moving part here, uh, there really is little to nothing left over. So the, the thought was at the time that initial open time wouldn't continue after the implementation of PBS. So we developed the LIP as a replacement for that. And the um, at least to provide some schedule flexibility based on seniority, right? And that really the final line award that what the training department was working with would have been prior to that lip, um, which would have just been what was designated as the training department block that they own that 8%, right? Yeah, yeah, you know what, you, you guys, I'll, I'll, I'll save time right here. Andy Black just texted me with the, the, really the solution. He says, hey, if you do a lip, you might have an FO on that trip, and they're going to have to pay protect them off of it. So he said, you know, none of the trips on your bid line have FOs. 
that may be where the complication comes up. Yeah, I can, I can that's see that. Right. And I'm getting, I'm kind of getting to that point, right. Which is the, the, the lip really is daily open time, but it's three days of seniority based daily open time. Right. Um, which is prior really to final schedules. The, or the, the final schedules are prior to that lip period because that lip period uh, essentially is daily open time. It's just based on seniority instead of first come first serve. Gotcha. And then one other quick question. Was, was it ever addressed by chance? More of a curiosity as it doesn't, I don't think it necessarily really hurts us. Maybe it does. Maybe it doesn't. Um, be, when Czech Airmen used to be able all be part-time, hey, do you want to do a trip? Sure. Hey, you want to do a trip? No. And then they changed it. The company said, hey, look, you guys either need to be training or not training. What do you want to do? Because if you're in the training, you know, you need to be all but three months. Um, what do you guys want to do? And then those who wanted to do it continued. Those who wanted to quit, quit. But I have we have what are called sleeper OE guys. They're like, well, no, I never really committed to the training department. And then what they do is they call up a couple of days before a bunch of busy trips and say, hey, you want to buy these off of me? And then they get them, they buy them back at premium rates, and they're they're not really even bidding, you know, like the rest of us. They're not doing full time training. All they're doing is sitting there milk in the system for 250 percent did we clarify anything which says that a pilot either has to be in the training department and you know abide by the rules or quit i'd say we address that in a slightly different way okay which is um how you do oe on a regular pilot or uh or let's say a um let's say regular pilot block, right? The stuff that wasn't included in that 8% uh, that isn't owned by the training department, right? So if there is a guy on a fly month, right? And the training department desires to do um, OE on one of his trips, there is no line by which they can point to that trip and put an OE student on it, okay? What the training department can do is take that trip posted and uncovered training events at that point it sits for 12 hours uh so that any sim instructor can pick it up right um and then that guy can pick that trip back up right he'll be pay protected for the removed trip and then pick that trip back up at 150%, and yes, make 250% on it. But it, what's key here is that it has to go through uncovered training events. There is no uh, taking, uh, you know, an OE student and assigning that person to, um, let's say, a, a training pilot on a fly month, okay, or anyone or any OE instructor for that matter. Um, they have to go through uncovered training events in order to put those students on that work after the sure. final line. Sure. The question is, is this guy has done no OE for nine months out of the year, and then all of a sudden is buying off these cute little trips in one month. So they're, yeah. they're not, they're not fully in, they're not fully out of the training department. So I'm just wondering if that came up as, Hey, no, look, either you're an OE guy. Or you're not. You either play by the same rules everybody else does, or you don't. 
but you're sitting there playing the best of both worlds. You're 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 doing OE when it's convenient for you buying trips back, but you're not doing OE the rest of the year. So that's what I'm we're yep. seeing. And, I'm and I think some of that some of that is hopefully resolved by the way that um, fly months are distributed now uh, under uh, this settlement. It'll limit it somewhat, um, but the OE how that trip assignment happens through uncovered training events should um, mitigate eliminate <laughs> eliminate uh, the grift that was going on there. Okay, gotcha. Cool, thanks. So with that, I uh, I don't see any more hands up. If there's any more questions, we're, we'd love to hear them. Otherwise, uh, turn it back over to Eric and Will and sit up. Andrew, I see a hand up. Hey there. Go ahead. Sorry, you have the floor. Do training pilots get PPE above 150%? Uh, no, so there is no um, there is no ratchet um, uh, for uncovered training events. Um, okay, because I thought I was reading through the contract there, and it says that you just referenced 4I, which is you know regular pilot premium pay. Um, I, well, if they're in a fly month and they pick up, yeah, at that point, I, there is the ratchet. But for, like, uncovered training events, there really isn't any ability to ratchet. Um, uh, okay, I'll, um, I'll look at yeah. that again. Yeah, and I think 4i, if I remember correctly, references trips specifically. Um, so. All right, thanks. But yeah, yeah, but there is no ratchet. So. Is there, there going to be, like, a... Uh, something put out by the company uh, requesting applications for training pilots or anything like that? They haven't I, I, told us yeah, anything. Yeah. No new news there at all. All right. That, I mean, if they if they want more training pilots, they need to put out a, a notice, yes. Um, but they haven't told us that they are currently uh, planning on posting or, or looking for new people. Um, that said, uh, I... <laughs> the push to get this thing resolved has a lot to do with uh, the execution of their growth plan and wanting to stabilize their their training throughput, right? And I think what comes with that is uh, some growth, right? And they want the ability to grow, which you need to create a pipeline for the training department, through the training department first. And they're just simply, they simply haven't gotten to the throughput that they're looking to get to, and they are looking for more instructors. So I wouldn't be surprised to see, um, uh, you know, a, a posting go out. And they were pretty clear that they believe that the uh, increased override is what was necessary to uh, recruit, recruit and retain uh, training pilots. So uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see something. All right, thanks. I was just thinking, um with regard to the OE pilots that get an OE line, they would be able to trade amongst themselves during the period of time, I would think. But Yeah, no, they, they don't see it that way. Um, they want them all locked down so that uh, they know that they have the productivity and the kind of productivity with the type of instructor that they're looking for. And they, there's some matching up of 
personalities and things like that that go on i think so um they don't see it that way they they don't want to service those trades and uh swaps and drops so um yep they have the ability to say yes anytime they want yeah greg i don't know if you're still on but i just threw this up for you just so you could see it right so this is the um kind of the list um the language, right? So specific limited exceptions with the training pilot is not paid an override. Um, so uh, basically, if you do a swap and, you, and it reduces credit, right? You're not going to get it on the credit reduction, which makes sense. Um, credit time that comes to 25 I-4, right? This is order of assignment um, after management pilots and prior to junior assignment. Uh, vacation and VRDs, HSMs, um, and then a recall. Um, Everything else is subject to the override. So that's yeah. the list. I just wanted to throw that up for you. As long as we're there, um, I, I want to have a little conversation about the override, right? Um, very consistent question regarding uh, premium pay and the override, okay? Um, the override is never subject to premium pay. Uh, it is the base rate uh, at... 150%, right? The um it's literally 1.5 times your base rate, okay? With the override paid on top of that. So when you're doing the math on ads and you're thinking about what you're going to get paid for that ad that you're looking at, know that it's your base rate at 150% and then add uh the override on top of that. Uh, so there's there's no multiplier on the uh, override. It is indeed an override. Do you mind scrolling down to page 14 and looking at number eight? Doesn't necessarily specify just OE line or whatever. It just says training event. Yeah. So again, there is no ratchet for training events. Um, so uh, 4I again talks to... Um, Specifically references trips and not training. So I think that's where maybe. And technically, when a trip becomes a training trip, it's a training event in a way. It's no longer a regular trip. It's owned by the training department and it's separated out of there. So you can think of it that way. Andrew, did that answer your question with eight? Uh, I guess I'm still lost, but uh, I'll I'll believe you guys. I guess you are not alone, my friend. Trust me on that one. So, all right. Uh, anyone else? Questions, comments, concerns, um, stuff you're looking for some clarification on? All right. Awesome. With that, uh, I think we'll close up the call uh, again. Tuesdays at two next week. Uh, Tim and Katie. Uh, kind of diving into average line value. Um, this is a, truly, this is a very, very important topic. It is not insignificant. It, it is going to affect our lives at this airline more, maybe more so than anything else that's happening right now. It is uh, that ALV concept and that number, and it's uh, core and foundational to PBS. Super important that we all get um uh, a really good group knowledge of what that ALV number is and how it works. 
uh, so that we can make good decisions when voting on the uh, uh, PBS LOA. So um, uh, tune in next uh, next week, Tuesday, uh, two o'clock. Thanks.